This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey folks, this is Greg Land working with Marvel on Iron Man. Just like to say to stay tuned to the two-headed nerd. Welcome to episode 118 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 5th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not making poor religious Joe Patrick rub ointment on my new Satan tattoo, I write the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick one one. I may have overstated my readiness. That's at Joe Patrick one one six on the Twitter. And when I'm not fully clothed yet sitting across from my shirtless co-host, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus. I like to think of us as like shirts and skins. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's a game. Which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. This week on the show, you'll hear our reviews of the return of Hero Bear and the Kid and the return of Astro City. After that, we'll hit the waves with the Silver Surfer when we take on Tropical Storm Andrea and review 10 more of this week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. And we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our buddy Machine Man is monitoring the cell phones of our favorite creators, listening for secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll dig through a pile of rice and lace letters and answer your questions when we play Ask a Nerd. But before we get to all that nonsense, let's take a moment to point a stern finger at Mr. George R.R. Martin and let him know he kills one more f***ing start and we are done with Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then we'll talk about this week's big news because I demanded it DC Comics has announced that one time Hawkman substitute Zoriel is making his appearance in the new 52 with next month's Trinity of Sin colon the Phantom Stranger number sign 10 colon final issue <laughs> <laughs> First appearing in the pages of Grant Morrison's JLA in the late 90s, Zoriel was a literal guardian angel from heaven that resigned his post to follow true love, then ended up fighting supervillains alongside the JLA. Whoops. After Morrison left the book and the JLA continued to evolve under different writers, Zoriel faded into obscurity to be remembered by only a handful of aging fanboys. Matt Baum with Zoriel making a comeback. Can Aztec be far behind? I guess not. We're going to mine all of Grant Morrison's good ideas because he's leaving. <laughs> I uh, loved Zoriel. I, I didn't love Zoriel, not because he wasn't cool, but because it was like Grant Morrison didn't want to work with Hawkman. No, it wasn't that. It was that he couldn't. You have to think back to that time. I don't remember. Why? The character of Hawkman was completely... Oh, yeah. F***ed. He was a total mess at that time. Yes. Like, he had was, six different origins. Yeah. It, there was... And I, I'm pretty sure that DC wouldn't even let him touch him just like no hawkman don't just, do it yeah it's the too big of, of a mess at the time and so grant morrison created his own kind of winged flying guy and i thought zoriel was super cool he was pretty cool unfortunately grant morrison will not be writing this version of it jm dematius will and uh i like him but not enough to learn how to pronounce his name properly i like saint dematius instead of dematius i know how to say his name and honestly this trinity of sin business part of the trinity war can't say I'm that excited. Well, I don't like the rebranding of the tiles. It's dumb. Yeah. You try to file that. It's dumb. But I, look, I like Zoriel. I like that they're bringing in these obscure characters. Hey, Wally West, 
Maybe bring him back no, before no, you bring back no, Zoriel. He's long gone. But we got to get characters like Zoriel and Azriel. Where's Azriel? Listen, I'm He'd trying to find. In. I'm trying to find a, a bright light, a right. reason to be excited about DC. You really, it's trying. not all bad, and sometimes they do things I enjoy. And bringing back Zoriel is, I think, a fun thing. We'll see. We'll certainly see. In other DC news, the publisher has finally confirmed one of the worst kept secrets in comics. Villains Month is coming this September, but not in the way we originally thought. Instead of the event taking over the titles of the New 52 for one issue, as Zero Issues did last September, many titles will have multiple issues released in the same month, with each focusing on a different villain. That is called a market share grab. For example, September we'll see Batman 23, point 0.1, point 0.2, point 0.3, and 0.4, with the issues focusing on the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, and Bane. Though there could be more announcements on the way, it seems like several titles will be skipping their September issues completely to make way for the extra point one issues. I'll bet creators love this <laughs> Tying it all together will be Forever Evil, a seven-issue miniseries starting in September by Geoff Johns and David Finch. In an interview with USA Today, John said, quote, Forever Evil is... And that's in little brackets. A chance for David and I to work on the greatest villains in comic books. It's literally everybody. I don't even know if there's anybody not in it. We're really literally, literally Geoff. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll find out. We're really exploring what darkness means and the different kinds of darkness that are within these villains. Joe Patrick, is this a good move for DC? Or is it another what the f market share grab? Well, I mean, they're definitely making a grab at the market share, and that's what these companies do. I believe uh, not too long ago they said we don't do that. Yes, in 2011, uh, DC executive John Rood is quoted as saying, "To be clear, DC is not a market share chaser. If we were, we would not be creating a quality lasting blah 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 blah. We would instead be flooding the market with over 200 titles a month, changing your prices with abandon. All of these will be 3.99. Yes." Killing off a character every quarter or so, and or randomly announcing decimal-pointed event-ish thingies. We <laughs> haven't. <laughs> well, now you have. Eh. Now, to be fair, John Rood was shot in the back of the head, thrown in an abandoned car, and pushed into the East River, I think, by the DC. Exec. John Rood's from Omaha. Well. That's what these companies do. This is overkill. I'm sorry, but this is overkill. You want to do Villains Month, just replace the title of the villain or whatever. But I'm pretty sure it's stuff like this that's pissing creators off, because it just, like... I'm in the middle of a story here, and you want to like flood me with four issues of bad guys in the middle yeah. of whatever I'm trying to tell? Yeah. J.H. Uh, Williams III uh, posted some tweets uh, like they are not involved in their Batwoman tie-in. No, most of these, I think, are just going to be- a, a lot of them are not by the regular creative teams. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the four Batman issues is by Scott Snyder. One. Yeah. Which isn't to say that they won't be good. It's just where are the titles that didn't get, have an issue solicited for that month? Like yeah. Superman Unchained is not listed. Yeah, it does not have one. I don't get it. They're too busy writing all this other crap or throwing crap against the wall to see what sticks. It's just a very strange strategy. It's a dumb way to do it. Is what it is. I like. I like stuff like this. I, I like the whole the villains take over. I like it too. And you know, I think Forever Evil sounds like it might be fun. But the but. We're talking like it's something like fifty six yeah. titles, and when normally there are only fifty two main DC books. So if you had thrown in the ones that aren't being published that month, you'd have something like sixty five titles. Yeah, and that is way way too much. Sixty five titles, most of which are not being written by the creative team that the 
fans like you and I are following. This it's dumb. I'm sorry. This is dumb. And I any creator that gets pissed off about this, I'm 100 percent behind them. Well, it is something to note that Forever Evil is DC's first line wide crossover. Okay, since the New Fifty Two. Also, every book will have 3D lenticular covers. Thank the Lord. With limited animation. <laughs> And I've seen a bunch of them. They're online if you want to find them. And some sites even have the animated effect as a as a GIF, so you uh, can kind of see what it's going to look like. They do, they do look cool. They do look cool. Oh boy. But, yeah, I mean, yes, we don't market share grab. No. Said the company putting out $4 lenticular covered one issues. No, 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 no. They would never dream of it. Finally, Marvel Comics has announced a new title slash the resurrection of an old title spinning out of their upcoming Infinity event. Mighty Avengers number one hits stands this September by 2000 AD writer Al Ewing and artist Greg Land. Hey, we met him. He was a super nice guy. He was nice. (laughs) I was kind of terrified he'd found out what we say about him. (laughs) After a week of teasers, Marvel revealed the full lineup for the team. Founded by Luke Cage and led by Monica Rambeau, now called Spectrum. Monica Rambeau, who was... Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Black and later... Cap- Black Photon. Captain Marvel with an afro. We know who she is. Yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> later, her name was Photon, now Spectrum. Third code name. As Infinity finds Earth's mightiest heroes off in space battling a cosmic menace, the world is left vulnerable to a sneak attack by the forces of Thanos. Oh! To defend the planet, Luke Cage steps up to assemble a new group of Avengers, Spectrum, the Superior Spider-Man, the White Tiger, the new Power Man, She-Hulk, the good one, the Falcon, the Blue Marvel, and an all-new Ronin. Don't care. An all-new Ronin, uh, who is a mystery. No, of course. And we know it will probably not be Daredevil. No. What is unfortunately notable about this title is not unfortunate because of the lineup. It's unfortunate because it even has to be noted. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Uh, Is that it is composed primarily of characters that are non-white, non-male, or all of the above. In their next big thing conference call, Tom Brevoort discussed the issue, saying, quote, I've talked in the past to people that have asked, why don't you do, quote-unquote, Black Avengers or Latino Avengers? And that feels artificial, ghettoizing to me. Let's put all the black characters together and away from other characters. It feels fake. But... People who want to see heroes that reflect them have a genuine point. So we set out to make this book not to make the Black Avengers, but the Dwayne McDuffie Avengers, meaning at least 50% non-white male. And as it turned out, we went for more. It doesn't substitute the need for diversity elsewhere, but it was definitely something I was paying attention to as we set Mighty Avengers up. Matt, it don't matter if they're black or white. Just like Michael Jackson says. I think this book sounds totally fun. I think it sounds great, too, but it is hard not to look at it. Tread lightly. I know, I know. It is hard not to look at it and see what he's saying, like the Black Avengers, Latino Avengers. It just, the, I understand the reason, what he's saying. The reason it feels the, like that to you, I think, is because it's a problem that we even have to think about. True. It. Why isn't it just a given that Luke Cage and the Falcon and Monica Rambeau are valuable characters right. that deserve to be on a high-profile super team. Uh, no, absolutely, and they are, and I'm fine with it. It just it gets very close to the C-Lab Black Debbie, White Debbie conversation. <laughs> sure. <You> know? <laughs> Everybody knows that she's white. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I am excited for this, but I can see why they, they 
can take some criticism both ways. Well, sure. I, I, and I do see, like you that said, crap does drive me crazy. I do see both. I do see both sides. Uh, I agree with Brevort's original point of view, where it does seem like we're, we're throwing we're throwing them together just yes. for the sake of doing it. But on the other hand, we are white men. We're represented in every comic. No, and I'm I agree. And for people that want their heroes or you know characters that they look up to to be represented. Right. I mean, it's absolutely a valid feeling. The transgendered Avengers. <laughs> you know, hey, I mean, why not? But I mean, I don't know. It, I, it's I hard, for, it's hard like, for us to comment on because we don't have to worry about it. Well, it's not even whether or not we have to worry about it. It's it's does it come off as campy? It's does it come off as Luke Cage going, "Hey, I'm going to put together a bunch of brother superheroes, well, no it, white folks allowed." And I you think know? that in this case, it doesn't. No, because, I don't think it does. You know, all the the. You know, quote unquote, a lister Avengers are out in space fighting, right. and they're uh, doing this Hickman's taste- thing. They're doing this tastefully, and of course, Luke Cage is going to put together a team full of people that he knows. Yeah, and he knows these guys. I, I see both sides of the argument. Obviously, these characters, uh, the established characters, are well established, and there's no questioning that they deserve to be in a in a high profile book like this. Definitely, and I think they're doing it right. It's not just like. Jesse Jackson's multicultural yeah, the multicultural pals, yeah. 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 Juan Gigante <laughs> and the French tickler. Yeah. It like it, it, no, it, it, they're doing it well and it makes sense. I will tell you that researching this story led me to watching a couple of interview snippets from Dwayne McDuffie from right before he died. Mm-hmm. And that dude is probably one of the smartest guys that we ever had in comics. Yeah, he was brilliant. And not having him around anymore is a huge bummer. Yeah, it sucks. He should be writing this book. He should be writing this book. That's the extra long big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where you can read my list of multicultural heroes and heroines that I would like to have sex with to prove that I'm not racist. Each week, my favorite Black Avenger, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, where we not only read your responses, but if you call us on Skype, our Skype name is Two-Headed Nerd, or at our Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894, and leave us a message, we'll play them on the Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what did you ask these nerds this week? Man, I had like three different ideas in my head, and I wanted to do all of them. So I ended up with this one. Okay, save them. Pick a character, then tell us who you think is the definitive artist of that character. I like it. Yeah. I like it. If you want to hear us making fun of your answers along with our own, go to twoitanerd.com and check out the unedited, not safe for Will I Am answer of the week audio blog this week. Soon. Eventually. <laughs> It's review time on THN where Matt and I pick up two of this week's neglected comics and decide whether to give them a home or stick a needle in their bellies and put them to sleep. Yeah. That is the worst. Yeah. Matt, Dead what, dog humor. What did you read this week, you asshole? <laughs> this week I read The Hero Bear and the Kids Special, number one, from Boom Slash Kaboom, written and drawn by Mike Kunkel. 
Here's your solicit. It's picture day at Tyler's school, and naturally, he's forgotten. But before Tyler can pick his good side, he has to sneak out of class with his best friend, Hero Bear, to stop an attack on the Simpleton Bridge from the mysterious Von Klon and his sub of doom. And better not lose his hall pass in the process. Don't miss as creator Mike Kunkel relaunches his Eisner Award-winning creation at Kaboom with a brand new original adventure. Though it is true that I hate children and all things young and innocent, and I, took, puppies. I took it upon myself to revisit Hero Bear to prove that I am not the sociopathic monster that Joe Patrick would have you believe that I am. And it's exactly what I hoped for. It's been almost 10 years, but Mike Kunkel's Hero Bear and Tyler, the kid, are back, and they don't appear to have lost a step. The really tricky part about writing a children's story in any format is to make it truly an all-ages story. It's got to be exciting enough to maintain a young reader and speak to them as a person without talking down to them or faking a young voice. This is where Kunkel excels. Tyler narrates the story here, and Kunkel has his boy with an overactive imagination dialogue down perfectly. Tyler's smart, funny, and believable without sounding like a kid written by an adult. Kunkel's art is perfect for this type of story. He draws Hero Bear like an animator mapping out a cartoon episode. His lines are loose. They're called storyboards. And deliberate with a style that kind of reminds me of Bloom County creator Burke Brethed or Ren and Stimpy creator John Kay. The comic is presented in grayscale, which is really ballsy for a kid's comic, with the only color being Hero Bear's red cape, and it works so well. Kunkel made the decision to leave some of his sketch lines in the panels, which kind of gives it this almost flip book animated feel. It, it's not even, it's not that it, like they are uninked. Yeah. It's just his pencil his pencil work. It looks like guidelines almost. They are literally like these are storyboard drawings. Yeah. You could take them to an to an animator and say make this and you could make Yeah. It. It's in, and it's it just works so well with his art. It really makes the motion of the book just leap off the page. And I love it. It it almost looks like we're just getting this intimate look into his creative process in the comic, and it works yeah. so well. A lot of guys choose to clean all that up and completely sterilize it so it looks like this very slick package. Kunkel kind of revels in the fact that he sketches through this stuff really fast, yeah, and, and it gives the book speed. But it doesn't just. But that said, this isn't just a drink. F- drink. I almost forgot. This isn't a five-minute funny book. It is loaded with story and humor on every page. I mean, it took me a while to read this. Hero Bear and the Kid. Yeah, it's long. I mean, it's like extra thick. It is. It, this is a fantastic all-ages read. And shame on you if you've got kids and you didn't pick this up. Buy it. Yeah, it would be a huge mistake not to mention Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, absolutely. When you think of when you think of Hero Bear and the Kid, I try to stay away from that just because. Well, the I think a lot of people go. I I'll just read Calvin and Hobbes. The difference know? is this: it, Calvin and Hobbes is is all about you know the the metaphor of youth and growing up, right? And imagination. Uh, whereas this is actually a literal like these. This is a literal thing. Like Hero Bear is real. As far it's, as far as we know from the character's point of view, Hero Bear. No, real. I mean it's real. It could be in his like, head. He's reacting to other people in the in the story. Yeah, but it, it could all be in Tyler's head. It's not. I mean, I've all read right. all of the Hero Bear stories. Right. It's a magic bear that comes to life. I mean okay. so there's there's like Calvin and Hobbes has that 
it's it's more cerebral and and imaginative, whereas this is more literal and, this and exciting. A, this is a superhero story. Yeah, and uh, but the 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 young kid and the and the friend, the impressive you know animal friend, right. going on adventures. It's definitely got that feel. The art is amazing. My uncle is an awesome artist, a yeah, great he really guy. is, and I really would love like take this somebody take this book and turn these panels into an animated that's feature supposedly that is what's happening because that's what it looks like that's why hero bear is back he's been working on this animated project for so long and Mm. it's coming well it's great to have hero bear and the kid back this is a worthwhile addition to uh, the all ages rack absolutely definitely pick it up it's a huge buy it from me joe patrick speaking of returns why don't you tell me about astro city number one all right this one was put out by vertigo written by kurt busiek Art by Brent Anderson, colors by Alex Sinclair, and covers by Alex Ross. Here's your solicit. Astro City is back in a new ongoing monthly series that showcases old heroes and new as the ambassador comes to Earth and an ordinary man is caught up in a cosmic conflict. Featuring the return of favorites like the Samaritan, an honor guard, and the debut of some new sensations, plus the seeds of a new mystery. Who is the broken man? The entire award-winning creative team is back to kick off a new epoch of the human and the superhuman. Get in on the ground floor of Astro City's next epic. As the solicit said, Astro City is back, and I couldn't be happier. While this is labeled number one, though, this is actually the 60th issue of Astro City. I fell off the series sometime during the very, very long Dark Age storyline some years ago. But the great thing about this series is that every storyline is completely different. And I didn't hesitate to jump back in here. Busiek and Anderson don't miss a beat getting back into the groove. Busiek's script is funny, a little creepy, unexpected, and even touching in parts. I especially liked the moments where the broken man, the story's narrator, describes the bizarre new character, American Chibi, and the first meeting of the ambassador and his faulty voice box. Of course, Anderson is an artistic legend. His art isn't flashy, but he is a great storyteller, and he's only gotten better over the years. I will say, though, that I wasn't in love with Alex Sinclair's colors for some reason. Alex Sinclair is the original artist of Astro City. He's been with the book the whole time. There are just some odd palette choices and a lot of digital effects, and it just didn't do it for me. I don't know if it's, you know, the older stuff, the technology wasn't as... as present as it is now and I, it, I it wasn't like, as noticeable but. i feel like brent anderson is one of those artists that you should not try to make his art look three-dimensional for sure and alex sinclair definitely put some effects on this to make it look very three-dimensional and it it's not great it, yeah the it, the color i think is a misstep and i'm not blaming the art no i'm blaming the color choices yeah. definitely I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. No, it's no, just, no. Yeah, there are some things that put me off. I think a softer color palette, like what you used to get in Astro City, which kind of made it feel like these vintage stories almost, you sure, know, yeah. is needed here. Right. And it, they try to make it look a little too modern. Yes. Uh, also, I agree. Oh, I'll tell you what. Not that Alex Sinclair shouldn't stay on the book because he is, this is the original creative team through and through, all the way down to the Alex Ross cover. But I would love to see him take a cue from, uh, like, Matt Hollingsworth. Yes. That colors Hawkeye. Yes. You know, with that kind of... Subdued. Flat. Yeah. Oh, man. That would look great on this book. Yeah. 
Also, I agree with a point that Aaron Myers made in this week's Ludicrous Speed Reviews. Uh, while the story is definitely well written, it doesn't really have the weight that a first issue merits, especially one three years in the making. It reads like an issue 60, not yeah, an issue one. Especially like a return. And I was talking about this before we started. It kind of reminded me the same way I felt about returning to Arrested Development, where I was so excited for it to come back that when it did and it just sort of leapt right after where it left off i kind of was i I wasn't let down it just took me a minute because i love it but yeah it took me a minute to go okay do i love this or do i have i romanticized the idea of it so much that i'm punishing it you know what i mean and i'm not i liked it a lot i'm giving this a buy it i really enjoyed it i'm glad it's back yeah all of all of that said drink that was your cue sorry uh having this series back is without a doubt a good thing, whether this is labeled number one, number 60, or number 360. You can't go wrong making a visit to Astro City. See what I did there? Yeah, I see what you did. It's a buy it for me. Clever. Yeah, big buy it here. If you haven't read Astro City, go back and pick up the first two trades, definitely. The uh, Samaritan trade, which was called... Um, well, the first trade's called uh, Life in the Big City. Life in the Big and City. And it's all, it's sto- all the stories are by, about different characters. And then the second one was all about the first uh, family. Yes, uh, one of the early trades is Confessions, Ooh. which is about the the Batman and Robin analog, Incredible. the Confessor and Alter Boy. Yeah, it was a huge, huge twist about those characters. It was fantastic. Oh man, Old Astro City is the best. This is great too. I'm glad it's back. No denying it. Huge buy it. What do what do they vote? So that is a double buy it for both Hero Bear and the Kids special and for Astro City number one. Of course, we want to know what you anthropomorphic talking hero analogs thought of these comics. So grab your stuffed animals and give us your opinions over at the comments section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Tropical Storm Andrea sure is a bitch, but one thing is for certain, she makes great waves. So Joel and I will be joining our buddies, the Silver Surfer and the Ghost of Patrick Swayze, circa Point Break, as we carve up the tube of Andrea's tsunami-sized tantrum, all while reviewing ten comics during this week's ludicrous speed round, dude! Buddy, this is your f***ing wake-up call, man! I am an FBI agent! I know, man, isn't it wild? Avengers Arena number 10 from Marvel. Brace yourself for an overload of sad Tumblr memes. What? Dennis Hopeless and guest artist Ricardo Bercielli. Bercielli. Bring the hurt to a fan favorite character and it is pretty butt-wrenching. <laughs> this book gets a bad rap because people think it's torture porn for guys that want to see kids get hurt. Like but me. I think they're wrong. Avengers Arena is all about seeing how these young heroes react to an impossible situation some react very poorly, and some rise above and prove themselves to be true heroes. That's what happened in this issue. I love this book. It's one of my favorites in the Marvel Now line. Really good. Giving it a buy. And don't forget, Arcade has been doing this since the character was created. He just happens to be doing it kids this time. That's right. Batwing, number 21 from DC. Stop trying to make a Bat character into Iron Man. It doesn't work, and it doesn't make sense that Batman would make a suit this amazing and not wear it. Also, Luke Fox as a character has nothing that I am interested in. They're kind of trying to write him like Spider-Man or maybe even Archie, and they completely over-narrate this book. Every time he throws a punch, he's talking about it. This could be a great character, but it's not. I'm saying strip him down, make him a Black Nightwing, 
shit. Just on the streets of Gotham, whooping ass with his bare fist. Not even that good at kung fu. He's just super tough UFC fighter, ground and pound type guy. What? And I'd like it, but they're not doing that. Why can't he just be like Nightwing? Why has he got to be like Black Nightwing? Well, he's saying the black dude. We all know he's a black dude, Matt. Blackwing. Oh, my God. Blackwing. <laughs> Make him like White Nightwing. Oh, there you go. Kick-Ass 3, number one, from Marvel Icon. I think I've put my finger on exactly what it is that I don't like about a lot of Mark Miller's work. White Wing. Look, <laughs> stop it. Like a movie that's been focus grouped to death. His stuff feels like it's peppered with the precise amount of references and poop jokes to pander to the widest possible audience. It feels very mercenary, and this issue is just more of the same. Plus, instead of being about heroes triumphing over impossible odds, Miller's books are about watching people fail. It's not what I want in my comics, and it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not saying that heroes can't have a hard time. This is not what this is. This is just... Hey, watch this idiot get his butt kicked for 18 <laughs> issues. Watch me cash in on Kick-Ass, which yeah. nobody really cares about anymore. This is a huge lever for me. I'm done with most of I'm, I'm done with it. Ultimate Comics. The Ultimates. Number 25 from Marvel. Joshua Hale Field Cobb, who wrote I, Vampire, which I really enjoyed, and Carmen DGND Menico take over the creative reins in what seems to be the middle of a story. I was lost on page one. It's all about the search for the Infinity Gems, and this is quickly becoming the Marvel tryout book. I really like both of these creators, but this did nothing for me. The art looks way too busy and rushed. The Avengers are just far too snarky here. None of them get along at all. The Hulk is a complete psychopath. I gotta ask the question, do we still need an Ultimate U? Outside of Ultimate Spider-Man, maybe. That's the thing. I would say no, but Ultimate Spider-Man is so good. I know. Skim it. Leave it. Leave it! Archer and Armstrong, number 10, from Valiant. Fred Van Lenny and Harry Perez serve up another great issue of Archer and Armstrong. The duo visit Area 51 to find answers about Archer's mysterious heritage. It's got hilarious dialogue, great art, fun action. You are a dummy if you are not reading Archer and Armstrong. I said it. Yeah, you dummies. Buy it. Winter Soldier, number 19, from Marvel. Writer Jason Latour and Nick Klein did an amazing job taking over for Ed Brubaker when he left this book, but that's all over now. This issue sums up the running story a little abruptly, but, well, and it has a nice send-off for the character. I should mention this is the final issue of Winter Soldier. But I am looking forward to more from both of these creators and this character. Bye. Green Lantern, number 21, from DC. Exo Manowar writer Robert Venditti picks up the title where Jeff Johns left off, and it's just okay. I'm definitely willing to give Venditti time to build his story, but there's some Hal and Carol relationship stuff that felt forced, and ugh. And I'm not a fan of Billy Tan's art at all. Me either. Not even a little. Hopefully, Venditti brings some of his XO awesomeness to Green Lantern, but for now, it's just a skim it. Hypernatural's number 12 from Boom! Pay attention, DC, because Abnett and Lanning are done with Hypernaturals and more than ready to come back and write the Legion ship. Hypernaturals was fun, but it did just kind of feel like not the Legion of Superheroes. And I gotta say, I cared about this comic way more than the current Legion title. Great highbrow sci-fi, really good art. This is a fun series. Buy it. Daredevil Dark Knight's number one from Marvel. Iconic Daredevil artist Lee Weeks is back to write and draw the first three-issue story in this anthology miniseries, and I absolutely loved it. Weeks hasn't missed a single step artistically, and though I never knew him to be a writer, and there's nothing earth-shattering here, he delivers a very solid, well-told story 
huge buy it. This was a great issue. Scrute number one from Zenoscope. Artist Tyler Kirkham tells a modern Frankenstein story here starring, you guessed it, a sexy Frankenstein girl. Yeah. The writing here is atrocious. There are so many mixed metaphors that I was laughing while I read it. The art by David Miller is pretty solid in David Finch clone kind of way, but Frankenstein fans really don't need to check this one out. Leave it. Why is Little Cult screwed? I don't know. Is it because she's got bolts screwed into her neck? Maybe. Or she just is screwed in her situation. I don't know. Squeaka! That is your little speed round. And Squeaka is the sound of... Well, to be quite honest, I'm not sure what was going on in that panel of screwed number one, but it looks like it might be the sound it makes when Suture, the Doc Frankenstein character that created the girl that he sewed together, get it? breaks his ankle maybe i don't know whose bones go squeaker i don't know it was weird as hell i'll show it to you Shh. welcome to the dhn sanctum sanctorum we have to whisper where we have to be quiet this week because our buddy machine man has hacked into the nsa mainframe and is simultaneously eavesdropping on the phone calls and emails of every comic creator in the business. All of them. We were inspired by the Bush administration. Par- pardon me. I mean Bush too. The Obama administration. Yes, we're turning on our mask. Policies of spying on Americans. I'm sorry, President Obama. And man, did we come across some juicy stuff in John Byrne's email. The man is a traitor. Matt... What has our little violation of the Fourth Amendment got you excited for next week? Next week, I am excited to read The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, number one, from Dark Horse. This one is written by My Chemical Romance frontman Gerard Way and Sean Simon, who I've never heard of, with art by Becky Cloonan, who I both heard of and totally love. Here's your solicit. Years ago, the Killjoys fought against the tyrannical megacorporation, better living industries, costing them their lives, save for one the mysterious girl. Today, the followers of the original Killjoys languish in the desert, but BLI systematically strips citizens of their individuality. As the fight for freedom fades, it's left to the girl to take up the mantle and bring down the fearsome BLI, or else join the mindless ranks of Bat City. Gerard Way is the writer of The Umbrella Academy, and The Umbrella Academy is hands down one of my favorite comic miniseries I've ever read. Both volumes of it. Wonderful. And when someone told me that the lead singer of My Chemical Romance <laughs> was going to write a comic that I was going to love, I punched them in the face. And then I stood on their chest until they stopped breathing. I hate that man. <laughs> Turned out, he's a hell of a comic writer. I cannot wait It's like if one. somebody came up to you and said, hey, uh, Shaggy 2 Dope from Insane <laughs> Has a new cop Shaggy Two Dope just blew my mind. You've got to read it; it's amazing. <laughs> the new Fred Durst Captain America run is amazing. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed. I came up with Shaggy Two Dope. That's Tudo. good. That's good. Anyway, buy this book. Joe, it looks Joe, like Joe Patrick. What are you reading next week? <laughs> Shh. What was bring? Shh. Be quiet. I'm sorry, Machine Man. I couldn't help myself. My pick for next week is Superman Unchained number one from DC Comics. Written by the lead singer of Sugar Ray. Written by Sugar Ray frontman Scott (laughs) Snyder. (laughs) With art by Bengals bassist Jim Lee. Whoa, whoa, the Bengals were pretty good. Oh, that's true. Let's not make fun of the Bengals. Here's your solicit. When 13 satellites fall from the sky in one day, 
<laughs> the logical suspect is Lex Luthor, even though he's still locked up in prison. What? But a stranger question remains. If Superman didn't stop the last satellite from falling, who did? There's a mystery hidden where even Superman can't see it. Can the Man of Steel drag a decades-old secret into the light? Don't miss the debut of this red-hot new blah, 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 blah. This has to be great. I, it, if it's not great... I don't know what to say. There, it's broken forever. Yeah. If, if this, How can it not be great? If they can't make this a good Superman book, I'm going to go on a limb and say no one can come to DC and write Superman right now. The way he is. Yeah. Yeah. A, Seriously, this is make make or break it time. Yeah, I want this to be good. Superman. I want it to be good. And I'm genuinely excited. It's not just because I want I am too. Superman to be good. I, I have genuine faith in Scott Snyder's abilities as I a writer. Need, I need Superman to be good. And if he can't deliver a Superman that I want to read in the new 52... I don't think anyone can. Ugh, man. Yeah, I'm saying it. But, I mean, without a doubt, it's going to be the biggest release of the week. Oh, yeah. And you shouldn't have any problems finding that and copy. We will certainly be talking about And it. the spectacle at alone, I think, is worth checking out. Fair enough. Drink. The THN trade of the week goes to Captain America, Volume 1, Castaway in Dimension Z, Book 1, Hardcover, written by Rick Remender, with art by John Ramita Jr., this is the relaunch of Captain America for Marvel now that sees him in Dimension Z, a dimension ruled by Arnim Zola. Arnim Zola. This is the side. He got a TV head. He got a, well, got a TV head on his stomach, sort of. <laughs> and it's in 3D now. He can come out of it. Yeah. This is the most wackadoo sci-fi Captain America I've ever read, and I totally, totally love it. Yeah. Now, that said, drink. I have no idea when or where this takes place in Marvel continuity. <laughs> it could be any time. I suppose. I mean, it could be that his time in Dimension Z happens in the blink of an eye. He's been there for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, he's been there a long time. It's wonderful stuff. If you missed out on this one, pick it up. Really, really fun stuff. And I'd like to say the return of John Romita Jr. as a great artist that I can say I love his work again. Been saying this for years. He fell off for a little bit. Nope. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so be sure to tell us what Big Brother will be reading over your shoulder next week at our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash two-headed nerd. And don't think they're not watching you. The second show of every month, we dump out the THN mailbag and sort through all of the poisoned letters. Looking for a question from one lucky listener in a little segment we like to call Nerd. This week, Brian DuPont writes, A buddy and I were trying to come up with superhero origins that mentioned the parents of those heroes. So, my question is, how many superheroes, and villains I suppose, can you name that mentioned parents? The heart of the question deals with the parents whose fates influence the superhero to be who they are. But hey, if you can settle on just naming the parents, I'll give that to you too. Good luck! So, this is not off the top of our head. We sat down, we had to we take re- some notes, because there's a bunch. Yeah, we made a long there list. There is a bunch, and we're not going to discuss all of them, because some of them are pretty obvious. Well, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll skim right past the obvious ones. And I don't know all their parents' names, but I will be challenging Joe Patrick to name some of his parents on the list. So let's start. <laughs> okay. So we uh, the obvious one, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Superman. you got Uncle Ben. Superman. Batman. Of course. Barry Allen. Discuss. Whose origin has been retconned by Jeff Johns. Geoff. Geoff, yes, I'm sorry. That Professor Zoom killed his mom and framed 
Barry's dad his for dad. her murder. Right. That was flash. And he has spent her, his whole life trying to prove his dad's innocence. So there's that. Okay. Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Magneto. Parents are- of Magneto. Yep. Or children of Magneto. Children of Magneto. Though, I mean, it's not really a factor in their origins per se. They're mutants. They just showed up. They had powers. It wasn't until 20 years later you found out that Magneto was their daddy. Yeah, I feel like they've been dealing with it enough, though, that well, it's, it's, it's definitely a, It's definitely ingrained in their characters. Yeah. Uh, Robin. Lots of them. Many of the Robins. <laughs> uh, but we were thinking specifically of Dick Grayson, who is now Nightwing. And Damien. And Damian Wayne, yes. Uh, not only on the Batman side, but also on the Talia side. Yes. Some real mommy issues yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> mommy issues, and he had a million ninja daddies. Yeah. Um, Hal Jordan, I would say Hal Jordan, because uh, even though his dad didn't have anything to do with him becoming Green Lantern, uh, the whole thing with his dad dying and him witnessing it uh, is kind of what made him into made him fearless. the character that we know. Yeah. I guess. I, yeah. I still feel like it's a stretch, but I'll go with it. All right. Jade and Obsidian. Kids of Alan Scott. Children of Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern. Uh, I would say especially Obsidian, who has a huge chip on his shoulder because uh, he had a terrible rough life. It's true. But Alan Scott would have to adopt them now because he's gay. <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> Which And that's fine. We have no problem with that. No, it's adopted. just that these are the facts. This is what DC did. Uh, Matt Baum has added what I think is a stretch. He says Legion from Marvel Comics. Uh, who is the son of Professor X? He went nuts. He couldn't control his powers. He blames his dad for not being around and helping. But him. I don't. He doesn't blame his dad. I think he he went right after him to kill him. He's crazy. Well, yeah, because dad wasn't around to raise him. Oh, listen, that's a daddy issue, man. I'm giving it to him. Okay, whatever. Invincible. Invincible. Totally. Absolutely. His dad is Omni Man. He's a big mustached many, alien. Many things have happened with that character. We won't spoil. Uh, Warlock. Yep. From the New Mutants, whose father is a terrible, tyrannical, planet-eating ooh, computer monster. The Magus. The Magus. Bad news. Starman, specifically Jack Knight, totally. whose father is the original Starman. All the legacy characters, really. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean. Daredevil. Battling Jack Murdoch. Battling Jack Murdoch. Yep. Raised his son right. You know what? Daredevil Dark Knights by Lee Weeks is all up ons with the dad stuff. There you go. Timely. Timely yep. question. Asriel. Asriel. Totally. Uh, who Matt swears up and down was raised by a secret order of crazy ninja monks. He was a clone. They mixed him. Was, oh, no, he wasn't a clone. They mixed chimp DNA with his DNA. Which I don't know what that has to do with his parents, but whatever. Oh, I mean, he, all kind of, he was raised by the church. Sure. To do his job. Uh, Aztec, in that same regard, raised by a secret society uh, for a singular purpose. Turns out, totes evil. And, and Lex Luthor was, was his daddy. Lex Luthor. <laughs> Lex Luthor wasn't his daddy. And he was but... so bummed out when he found out he killed himself. <laughs> he did not kill himself. <laughs> Black Canary, whose mother was the Golden Age Black Canary. Yes, she, another legacy character. Yep. A Huntress. I, any way you slice it. All of them. Pre-crisis, post-crisis, New 52. Yep. Originally, she was the daughter of Batman. There's that. Uh, in the post-crisis universe, she was the parents of... Or her, she was her the, parents uh, were mobsters. She was the children. She was a child of a mob family. Wasn't, she's a Falcone, isn't she? No, she's not. She's a Bertinelli. Oh, that's right. But wasn't she a cousin of the Falcones or something like that? Nothing to do with the Falcones. Her family is all from Italy. So is the Falcone. And the Falcones live in Gotham. Yeah, but they were from. They're old, they are not they? the same family. Quit it. Okay, fine. God, <laughs> we're going to spend the whole episode arguing about. They were it. mobsters. Yes, and uh, her, mafioso. Her parents uh, were. Her family was gunned down in a in a mob hit. 
and she swore to destroy the whole, the entire mafia. Right on. They, hence, the there, Huntress. There you go. I would say both Power Girl and Supergirl. Who are essentially the same character. Essentially the same character. Um, rocketed from Krypton. Sure. Et cetera, et cetera. Just like Superman. Hellboy. Oh, yeah. Who's... Dad is the devil. The devil, essentially. Yes. Uh, and he was raised by Professor Brutenholm to kind of fight against that. Yeah. So that. he's got two different daddy issues. One is a good daddy that helped him out and made him who he is, and then his overriding father, who has been steering his destiny or pushing him towards his destiny yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Uh, Jericho and Ravager, kids of Deathstroke. Yes, both the kids of Deathstroke the Terminator. Somebody let Deathstroke You'd be put messed a baby up, up inside of them. <laughs> yeah. Harry Osborn, son oh, of Norman Osborn. Your sword is so big. Stop it. <laughs> Harry Osborn, son of Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Oh, yeah. That guy is one huge daddy issue. Nutso. He's nothing but. Raven from the Teen Titans, whose dad is also essentially the devil. Trigon. Trigon. Yes. Trigon the Terrible. He got six eyes. You do. Somebody let Trigon put a baby up inside of him. Yeah. Not a good looking guy. Well, he was in disguise as a good looking guy. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought maybe they met on the internet. It was like, <laughs> I'm heavy into demons. <laughs> Craigslist. Yeah. Misconnections. You. <laughs> With 50 the- foot tall, red... <laughs> Six-eyed devil monster. Flaming six-eyed devil guy. Me, Slipknot fan (laughs) at the bus stop. (laughs) Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown, whose father was the Clue Master. Who is now gone. Well, Stephanie Brown is also gone. Yeah. But the Clue Master was this kind of washed-up supervillain. Stephanie Brown hated him so much that she became a superhero. Yep. Uh, Zatanna, whose father was a Golden Age crime fighter. Zatara. Zatara. Legacy character. Yeah. Ultron. Ultron, who is a robot. Who had the biggest daddy issues in comics. Yeah, all he wants to do is kill his daddy. But also, like, wanted to marry his mom. It's really weird. (laughs) He got this weird Oedipus thing for the Wasp. It was really weird. Uh, The Vision, by that rationale, is also uh, fitting the bill. He was Ultron's baby. Built by Ultron. Yeah. I'm going to say X-23, who is technically a clone of Wolverine. But she was kind of not raised per se, but she was um, her the the human donor, the scientist that contributed to her DNA, did everything she could to make her not be a killing machine, right? A pure killing machine. You want to give right. her some humanity, and uh, no, like she tried, she like wanted to get her out of there and break her of the whole thing. Yeah, but the organization that built her forced X twenty three to kill the mom. It's a bad deal. Yeah, it was rough. Also on the Wolverine side of things is Dokken. Dokken. Everyone's favorite mohawked, weird, clawed. Yeah. I didn't like his claws. From the bottom of yeah, his that was wrist. Dumb. But that series was fantastic. When Marjorie Lou took it over. When Marjorie Lou took it over. It was, it was really was good. Excellent. Yep. It was really, really good. Dokken, he did. Gamora. Gamora, the adopted daughter of Thanos. There you go. If, da- if Thanos is your dad... You've got some problems. Why didn't he just kill her? Like, well, he, like, he, like, he raised her to be the deadliest woman in the galaxy. That's true. Okay. He was using her All as right. a weapon. She was like, screw that. I'm out of here. Damien Hellstrom. The son, son of, of Satan. Satan. It's in his name. Let's come there on. There you go. I don't even need to discuss it. Uh, all of the runaways. Found out their parents were supervillains. Super all of them. Yep. Mr. Miracle and Orion. One, the son of High Father. One, the son of Darkseid. Swapped at birth to maintain a fragile peace accord between New Genesis and Apocalypse. And it messed them both up for life. 
Uh, well, you know, Mr. Miracle ended up okay. He's a crazy person. Mr. Miracle? Yeah, he's nuts. He's not crazy. Yeah, that's kind of Scott Free. He's nuts. He's not nuts. He's whacked out. You're you're crazy. Every time he shows up, to like, oh, oh, shut up. I'm where I'm, I'm going with this. No, you sure don't. Superboy. Superboy, a clone of Superman and Lex Luthor, which is really cool. Fifty fifty. Yeah. And so his he's fighting against his nature, you know, the half of his nature that's like programmed to be a supervillain, and the other half that is the world's greatest hero. And he's like trying to at the same time like walking in Superman's shadow. Yes. Yeah. And of course we're talking about the pre New Fifty Two Superboy. Right. Who knows what's up with this new guy? He's just grown in a tube. I think. I think they have. I sort think of I mentioned- read something like. They revealed that he is the son of Superman and Lois Lane from the future. What? No. I will have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure it's something like that. I don't know. Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, whose dad was super abusive, which led to his anger issues. Oh, yeah. And his dad killed his mom, and then Bruce killed his dad. Yeah, it was a whole thing. You'd be messed up, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here's a contrast. She-Hulk had a great upbringing. And she's fine. But she just needed a blood transfusion. No, I know. But like, if if yeah, if it did. wasn't for Hulk's dad, oh yeah, the Hulk would just be like, "What's up? I'm the Hulk here to help." Yeah, he wouldn't have the rage issues. Exactly. <laughs> Prometheus, who is a character from Grant Morrison's JLA, yes, who was kind of the anti-Batman. He was awesome. Also, just uh, like the Wrath, a character from the '80s that they're bringing back. Yeah. Uh, the the gist of those two guys essentially is that their parents their are Bonnie parents, and Clyde. Yeah, it's like it, it, reverse Batman. Yeah, exactly. Like their parents were Bonnie and Clyde, gunned down by cops, swore to uh, tear down society, hates the law, hates the law, hates the man, trained to the body to pinnacle of perfection, anti Batman. Put on a helmet that he could stick CDs in, <laughs> CDs, <laughs> like, mini discs to download information. Yeah, which was really cool when he fought Batman and he's like, I've just downloaded. Seven of the world's greatest martial artists, Mr. Wayne. And one of them is you. And one of them is you. Yeah, and then <laughs> Batman messed with his helmet and said, you just downloaded Stephen Hawking into your brain. Like, and then he punched him. Yep. <laughs> uh, Red Tornado and Tomorrow Woman, both creations of T.O. Morrow. Correct. A Tomorrow Woman was a joint effort between T.O. Morrow and Professor Ivo. Oh, we should mention the Metal Men, too. Yeah, but they totally. don't really have daddy issues. Yep, they one of them fell in love with him. It was they're super creepy, and they're all trying to impress him and stuff. Like Doc Magnus. Yeah, yeah, uh, they definitely. I'm, I'm not buying that. I'm saying he made them. Yes, Doctor Magnus created well, yes. them. Yes, that's true. So but, he is instrumental in their origin. You agree oh with that my statement? God, shut it. So there you go, Metal Man. But Red, uh, the reason Red Tornado and Tomorrow Woman are on this list is much like the Vision. They were created to destroy and broke their programming and ended up becoming heroes. Yeah. Tomorrow Woman sacrificed herself in her first appearance to save the JLA. There you go. She got a sweet uh, memorial statue in the superhero graveyard. It was sure. very touching. Black Panther. Black Panther, who comes from a long, long line of Black Panthers. Yes. Living in his father's shadow, taking over the mantle of the king. Uniquely tied to all his ancestors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The and, Panther spirits. And finally, though we could have gone on, Thor and Loki. Arguably the biggest who, daddy issue who, who, in comics history. Who do nothing but fight and argue and shout their dad's name. Yeah, they're, they're either trying to kill him or get him to notice him. <laughs> like That's pretty much the entirety of their character. 
So that is a huge list. And, and by no means complete. This is just what we came yeah, up with at the top of our heads. Well, you know, with Wikipedia's help. Brian, that was a kick-ass question. I loved it. And we had a lot of fun looking things up. And Matt would go in the other room and get coffee. And I'd be on the computer. And he'd yell something at me from the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> if you guys have a comic-related question or think you can stump me, me, Joe Patrick, comic book trivia demigod. Listen to this asshole. Send us an email with the subject line, Ask a Nerd, or call us at our cigarette direct line mentioned at the top of the show. And be sure to introduce yourself and tell us why you are calling. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that's it for the Libertarian Vitriol episode of THN. If you're also mad as hell and not going to take it anymore, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can swear your THN allegiance by leaving us a star rating and or a written review and or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Huge thanks to all of our past donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in bug finders and disposable cell phones, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button, though the man can probably track that. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's a paper trail. Send us a suitcase full of money. <laughs> Unmarked bills. <laughs> there you go. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, which is at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, which is TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, which is THN Comicast, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, and our new direct phone number, 402-819-4894, where you can send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget, check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including a new Tales of the TD Dubs, a new Twiddling My Thumbsticks by Willie Toots, and a new Saturday morning cartoons by the Credible Hulk discussing the then state of the art CG adventure reboot. And let me tell you, the Uncanny Valley was a lot wider back then. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear your fellow listeners' answers and our own, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web exclusive, not safe for Wayne Gretzky audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, the comic pushers make their long-awaited return to oh, man, I'm excited to introduce it. one impressionable listener to the newest, hottest comic product on the streets. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Philip with an F from Israel, who wrote us some very nice stuff on our Facebook wall and wanted to discuss Justice League of America number four. Where do you fill with an F? And someone might want to tell Anna Senti that Catwoman is dead. Until next time, true believers, <laughs> remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Before we sign off, do we know who the new doctor is? Let's check in. You said that. You, you said. You said. You said. No, the news is there is no news. Is it going to be a lady or a black dude? It's not going to be either one of those. Black things. Doctor Who. It's going to be somebody that nobody's sure of. Black Lady Doctor Who. It might be yeah, Black Lady Doctor Ooh, Who. Ooh, yeah, there would be something. Mm. Mm. This. Good to hear the name. Bye.